0: This, is, this has been a really cool series for me. The Catechism series has been an opportunity for us to step in and allow God's truth to kind of be ingrained deeper into our hearts as we study biblical truth founded uh, through the scriptures. And so I love getting to uh, come alongside of Art and Steve and Matt who have done a phenomenal job. Um, and deeping, deepening our understanding of these truths. So this morning we're going to be looking at uh, Colossians chapter 1. If you want to open your Bibles there. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, we'd love to get one into your hands. Seriously, just put your hand up. Uh, the elders would be happy to bring one to you guys if, if you want one. But um, we're going to be jumping around a little bit since it's a little bit more topical, but we're going to start in Colossians 1. Uh, so Colossians 1, starting in verse 19. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. This is the word of the Lord. Let me pray. Father, we have sung a number of songs this morning that have reminded us of the the immensity of your love for us, the, uh, the lengths to which you went to bring us back. And so we ask this morning as you open your word to us that you would open our hearts and our eyes and our minds to see the truths that you want us to grasp of who you are, uh, of the kind of God that we worship. And Lord, it would bring us to worship. It would bring us to a place where we get to fall on our knees before our creator and our savior and say, you are awesome and we love you. So we pray for this morning and ask all these things, Jesus, in your holy name. Amen. Uh, Last week, as we reviewed just a second ago, Matt explained in Catechism 25 how uh, Christ's death on the cross fully paid the penalty for our sin. And therefore, God remembers our sins no more. He said because he remembered it when Christ was on the cross, our sins were taken care of. And because our sins were taken care of, uh, the record was fully paid. God took our record, our sin, and imputed it onto Christ, and then took Christ's righteousness and imputed it onto us. That is how uh, Christ's death redeems us. This morning, though, we're going to be asking a, a little further question about Christ's death, expanding the discussion on his death. So let us read together, uh, question and answer, question 26. What else does Christ's death redeem Christ's death is the beginning of the redemption and renewal of every part of fallen creation as he powerfully directs all things for his own glory and creation's good. It truly is a magnificent thing to consider that the death of Christ, because he was both fully man and fully God, was able to fully pay for all sins of all people in all of history. It's it's amazing, it truly, truly is. But what is even more amazing is that the power of his death does not stop there. It's even bigger. And so as today, as we talk about Catechism 26, we're gonna be asking three questions. We're gonna be asking, what is every part of fallen creation? What does it mean to redeem and renew every part of fallen creation? And how do we participate in God's redemptive activity? What is every part of fallen creation? What does it mean to redeem and renew it? And how do we participate in what God is doing? So to start, I think it's important for us to look at the fall. We're going to be in Genesis 3. If you want to turn back, it's like the third page of the Bible. Uh, Genesis 3, to kind of catch you guys up, Genesis 1 and 2, God created the heavens and the earth. He made everything, and he he loved his creation. He said it was good, and he filled it. The psalmists talk about how he filled his creation with light, and we read in Genesis how he filled it with life, and he said it was good, and at the end of creation, at the end of the creation account, he creates us, man and woman in his image, and he says it is very good. But then Satan shows up. He deceives Adam and Eve, uh, they, they listen to him, they fall away, they disobey God, the one thing he told them not to do, and it kept them in, out of a right relationship with God. And so, G, so God comes to Adam and Eve in Genesis 3, starting in verse 16, and this is what he says to them. He says, to the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. immediately we see that the effects of, of sin, the effects of the fall are way bigger, are way bigger than we originally imagined. Which, by the way, separation from God is big enough to crush us. And I can't fathom what Adam and Eve were experiencing when they realized who, they walked with God, they had a relationship, they were in perfect unity with him, and then all of a sudden, gone, never to be experienced again in this life but sin's bigger than that and it did more. It says here that there was pain. There would be pain in childbirth. There would be pain in work. Broken relationships and the beginning of decay and corruption and entropy into the world. And not just for humans, which is interesting, right? Adam and Eve sinned, but not just for us, for all of creation. All of creation began to experience the effects of the fall. This is the reality of sin, guys. It's, it's worse than you think. Matt says that on a regular basis. It's worse than we think. The created world suffered because of sin and it was no longer as it was intended to be. Nature. Nature. Uh, world systems, uh, civilizations, relationships, broken because of the fall. Uh, In Romans 5, Paul tells us that because of Adam, uh, we are born into sin. We're born dead in our sins. But in Romans 8, he takes it further and it says, for the creation waits with eager, longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. You can see it potentially in that verse. There's, there's glimmers of hope, right? Like he talks about there's hope of freedom. There's, there's the come, what's going to be true. But it was subjected to futility, not willingly, and it is now in bondage to corruption. So the question now ultimately is, what is every part of fallen creation? It's nature's, first of all. It's one of the first things it talks about. I don't think it takes you very long to think of how nature, we experience nature having uh, been corrupted by the fall. Natural disasters, though they absolutely display the awe-inspiring power and incredible greatness of God, are destructive, it's not as it was intended to be. Tornadoes, earthquakes, volcanic eruptions, hurricanes, tsunamis, floods, they destroy and they take life. That wasn't what it was supposed to be like. They're violent, they're out of control. Yes, yes, Jesus is absolutely, he was on the earth. He actually calmed the storm. God is absolutely in control. He, he can and does do that. But if you look at it, it's just very obvious. Nature is in bondage to corruption. The created world is suffering because of man's sin. What else? Beyond nature. Uh, we see in Genesis 3: relationships. Immediately it says, Eve, your desire will be for, or against, or contrary to, very various translations say it differently, for your husband and he will rule over you. There's a break there. It's not the way it's supposed to be. It's different now. There's gonna be a break in the relationship. And then immediately after, they have what happens with their two sons, Cain and Abel. Cain hates his brother and kills him. And I bet the minute I started talking about broken relationships, it didn't take long for every single person in this room to be, have someone come to their mind. Someone in your life who you're in a strained relationship with, who, who things are not, they're not going the way you want them to be going a family member a coworker a sibling a parent a friend a neighbor a spouse this is not how it was supposed to be when sin entered the world relationships were broken and even the good ones even the great ones are still difficult at times we still hurt each other we are still hurt by each other relationships were tainted by the fall. In addition to relationships, our physical nature. Uh, it God's very clear there. He says, You were made from the gut dust, you will be returning to the dust. We are physical beings, and if physical creation is impacted by the fall, then we are impacted by the fall. Now I know I'm only 34 and Many of you will look at me and be like, seriously? But like, I'm aware that my body is getting older. Things hurt that just didn't hurt before, and it's frustrating. It's it's sad, and I, you know, try and I'm fighting it, but our bodies are impacted by the fall. When John Zimmerman shows up at the office with a dozen Krispy Kreme donuts, and I have to eat nine or ten of them because no one's going to help me at the office. (laughs) Like, I'm affected by that. When Sarah Stedham shows up with a cheesecake at the youth coach party last night and I just keep eating it all night because it's cake and it's my favorite food. I'm impacted by that because of the fall. I don't know what it's going to be like, but I know that heaven talks about it talks about feasts. It talks about a lot of things that talk, I, our bodies are deeply deeply impacted by the fall. But there's specific things that he talks about here. Uh, God looks at them and he says, I will, uh, in pain, you shall bring forth children. Now, I will not speak to what it was supposed to be like. I, I don't know. There are some theologians who argue that um, there was always going to be sensation. Like you were always going to have the, the the sense of feeling. But there was, you know... There are things that feel good, but when they're like, increased greatly, they're incredibly painful. And so there's that idea that God was going to maintain like, just normal feeling, and it wasn't going to be painful. And, and, and that makes sense, that God could withhold or keep things from being experiencing the curse of the fall. If you look at what happened to the Israelites in the wilderness, they were walking around for 40 years, and it says their clothes and their shoes never wore out. God has the power to withhold the effects of entropy. He does. And I believe that it would have been something like that. But I know in Revelation 21, 4, it says, he will wipe away every tear from your eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. If we believe that the restoration and redemption of the world is is bringing it back to what it was like in the garden, then I believe that there are things that, like pain, that we're not supposed to be here. But our physical bodies, being a part of physical creation, experience the consequences of the fall. Work is another thing. Uh, work is good. I think we've talked about this a number of times in our church. Work was good. Adam was called to work. We will work in heaven, and yet there's something about work that is painful and hard, and not just gardening or farming, which is especially in Georgia uniquely difficult. But but there's more. Work is just even if you love your job, even if you work in a phenomenal environment, it's still hard. It's difficult. It's not the way it was supposed to be. This is a part of the curse. Our natures are, are battling within us because he had one way of us doing things and we took it a different direction. It's because of the fall. Last thing. Uh last thing that's a, we will consider as a part of fallen creation the scriptures refer to the word world a lot of a lot of different ways uh, one of which is John 3:16 for God so loved the world and that's he's talking about the people of the world so when he says he loves the world he loves the people of the world and it also says uh, in uh, in, Gen- in Genesis he created the world so there's the physical world so the world could be people it could be the created world but there's this third way and this is what it talks about in 1 John 2 it says do not love The world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the Father is not in him. That's important to notice because the Father loves the world, right? He said it in John previously, the same author, different book. He loves the world, and yet the love of the Father is not in him if he loves the world. So clearly there's a different thing here. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. This is the world's systems. This is the structures. This is the broken systems that we all are very aware of in our world are because of the fall. Relationsha- uh, societies, cultures, These are all affected and broken, but God is redeeming and will fully redeem all of this. A quick note, um, when we're talking about fallen creation, I don't know if there's anyone in here who had this thought, but uh, you might be thinking there are things that are created and fallen that will not be redeemed, right? And the answer is yes. Uh, Satan was created. He was an angel. He was created by God. And Art talked about this a number of weeks ago. The first sin wasn't Adam and Eve. It was actually Satan in his desire to be God. And when Satan threw him out and cast him out with his angels, Satan and his demons are irredeemable creatures. Irredeemable fallen creatures. You might be asking, like, how do we know that? a good question. Philippians 2, it says, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Everything will bow before the name of Jesus. That's not up for debate. But Colossians is not talking about bowing before Jesus. It's talking about what he is redeeming. And Paul's words are very intentional. He says he's restoring all things to him in heaven and on earth. He does not talk about things under the earth, which Paul is clearly identifying as the things that will never be redeemed, Satan and his angels. And, unfortunately, anyone who never comes to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ who never comes to a place where they realize that Jesus did pay the entire, full, complete payment for their sin. And the only way they can have a relationship with God is by realizing and accepting that. So, God is redeeming, and one day will fully redeem all of fallen creation, all things in heaven and on earth. This brings us to our second question. How? What does it mean What does it mean that Christ's death is the beginning of the redemption and renewal of all of of fallen creation? We've talked about this a number of weeks. Uh, Steve did an amazing job three, I think it was three weeks ago, talking about how Christ was a man. He was a full man. And because he was a man, he could pay the penalty for our sins. He was the right type of substitute. And because of what he's done, a man is now sitting at the right hand of God, which is amazing. And then Matt, the following week, talked about how Jesus was fully God, which is incredibly important. Because if he wasn't, then he couldn't take the full wrath of man's sin. And so being fully man and being fully God enables Jesus to be the perfect sacrifice. But if we look at Colossians 1, it says, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. So we have to look back, because the word for, why is he saying that? Look back and starting in verse 15. I've always loved this passage. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. This is Jesus. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him, all things hold together. He is supreme over all of creation but he's not done there. And he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. He's the head supreme over the church, which is beautiful because if Jesus is the head over all of creation and the head over all of the church, then his sacrifice is sufficient to redeem all of creation and all of the church. We talk about it, like I think every week. We talk about how He died for us and His He redeemed and restored us, and that's true, and that is incredible. But there's more. His death fixes everything broken by the fall. When I think that His death was sufficient to pay for my sin, I'm in awe. When I begin to expand that his death was sufficient to pay for all people and all of history, I, I can't even fathom it. But when then I realize that his death is sufficient to redeem all of creation, it's, I, I can't begin to wrap my mind around it because he is able to restore all things to the way they were. I Let that sink in. Everything, everything is redeemable because of his death. I want to read this commentary to you uh, as I was studying the, the verses 19 through 20. There's four verbs in this passage in this, these two verses and all of them are past tense definite. Like they are, they're done verbs, which is important because this is what he says. This reconciliation was a decisive act. And there was a once for all element too about the making of peace which God effected. This was accomplished by the blood of his cross. Christ by the offering of himself through death, accepted the curse which was due to us. But this reconciliation is not limited to men. It applies to the whole order of created being. It is sufficient, sorry, it is significant that Paul does not say here, all men, which would be contrary to his normal teaching, but all things. This phrase is indefinite and suggests the completeness of the plan of God. Not only is sinful man reconciled, but the created order which has been made subject to vanity because of sin will share in the fruit of the mighty act of atonement on the cross. Christ took the full curse of the fall on him, humanity, and all of creation. Now, it's important to recognize that this is one of those now true and also not yet realities. Like, I think if you might have been asking the question at some point. You're like, I just don't experience the renewal of creation. And like, I totally get that. There is something about this world that is, is it's in the process, which is why he says in Revelation 21, five, behold, I am making all things new. But what he is doing is he is redeeming what was his. I love this quote. This is an Abraham Kuyper quote. I, I think it's been referenced here before, but I just feel like it applies to this so fully. He says, there is not one square inch of the entire cosmos about which Jesus Christ does not say, mine. And in so doing, for which Jesus does not promise and pledge grace and renewal. He is coming back for it all. And he now, through the Holy Spirit, is going through the process of bringing renewal. That's important, right? The Holy Spirit, that's important because as Joel said, it was better for him to go that he could leave the Spirit with us because that is how he's doing that. That's how it's happening now. But like we said, it's the beginning of renewal and redemption. So I think the question is deserved, what, how? How do we see it happening? I think we see it happening in how we are becoming aware of how... uh, our impacts, uh, our our lives impact the world, which which has a lot of effects, um, like culturally, globally, how we affect parts of the world uh, through clothes we buy and food we eat, along with how we are aware of how it affects the environment, the things that we are doing with pollution and squandering natural resources, like becoming aware of those things and making strides to try to be different. I think it looks like medical advancements. We're living longer, and and God has given us the grace of understanding and knowing more about us and how things work to be able to heal and to care for and to protect and a number of advancements in technology and science. I think it looks like sending natural resources, sorry, sending resources, money, food, supplies, all over the world because people are in need. It looks like caring for the poor and the widow and the sick and the foreigner. Stepping in and caring for broken relationships. It looks like supporting and fighting for justice, for the, broke, uh, for the, uh, the voiceless, the neglected. But what I think is amazing about this is that he's doing all of that through the church. He, he's using people, his people, to bring about the renewal and restoration of creation. You see, the Catechism says that he powerfully directs all things for his glory and for the good of creation. And because it's all about his glory, he's using those who can speak of his glory. You might be like, but doesn't the psalmist say that... uh, the whole earth declares the glory of the Lord and uh, works declare of his, of his hand, uh, handiwork, handiworks declare his, his majesty? Yes, you're absolutely right. The Bible does tell us that creation tells, of us, as, as, tells us of God, but we're actually speaking about it. And when he made all of creation, he chose to make us in his image and we are the pinnacle of creation. And so he would be looking at us and saying, you are the ones I want to be using for this. I want to use the church to redeem all of fallen creation. We are the ones he intends to use to begin the process of bringing about redemption and renewal. You might even think to yourself, this sounds kind of backwards. Like when I'm having my kids do something and they're doing it to help me and it's not going super well, I'm prone to step in and be like, thanks for your help, buddy, but I'll do this. And I can imagine God looking at us and being like, oh my gosh, what are they doing? Ah, uh, let me take care of this. But he's not, right? Like he's not the one stepping in and just like taking all the weeds out of the, out of the vegetation to keep, that are keeping them from growing. He's not the one removing the rot and taking away the fruit that's not good and just making all vegetation lush. He's not the one uh, just taking care of pollution and like, you know, finding a way. He's not doing that. He's, he's calling us to. He's actually transforming our hearts and making us the type of people that step into those arenas and get to do those sorts of things. That is how God is undoing and renewing and restoring everything that was broken by the fall. I just want you to imagine for a second. What, imagine what the garden was like. like. I immediately go to nature. I immediately think of like, beautiful weather, um, lush vegetation, animals scurrying around, which might make some of you more anxious than others. Uh, depends on the type of animal. Um, yeah, not you know, snakes going by and me not being scared out of my mind. That would be, that's, I, I picture that's the sort of stuff in the garden. But, but go beyond that. Imagine if you never had to think about how you measure up. If you never had to think about how you compare to other people or other parents or your siblings or people you work with. If you never had to always be looking over your shoulder to think when's the next the shoe actually going to f- drop, when, when are things going to go bad? Imagine never getting another update in your phone about a school shooting or a bombing or about a natural disaster taking lives or another amber alert blaring across the phones. Imagine what the garden was like when this stuff wasn't true. That's what he's doing. He's wanting us to step in and be a part of the the beginning of the process, but that's what he's doing over all of it. Now, some of you might hear this and be like, well, none of that's actually going to come true until he comes back, and you're absolutely right, and so you might uh, have the question, then why am I doing anything? This takes us to our third question, how do we participate? Why am I doing anything if God's ultimately just going to fix it all anyway, or, or even so, you might ask the question, like, I, I understand, but, like, my part's just not big enough. Like, it doesn't really matter. I'm not really going to have the opportunity to make, like, a full contribution. Should I even try? Martin Luther has been attributed with this famous quote. Uh, it says, if Christ were coming again tomorrow, I would plant a tree. And I think we've even quoted this here before. Now, it's highly debated whether Martin Luther actually said that, which is, uh, unfortunate, because um, it's a great quote, and I wish I had said it, because it's true. And whether he said it or not, it's one of those things that actually defines like what we get to be a part of. We get to realize if Christ is coming tomorrow, then everything I do today can be a part of the beginning of the redemption and renewal of all fallen creation. And therefore, planting a tree makes complete sense, along with a lot of other things. This is not a this is not a green message. <laughs> There's a lot of other things that we can be doing. You can say, I did that because I want to be part of the beginning and the, of the renewal and redemption of all fallen creation. So how? I think it looks like a lot of different things. I think it, looks, uh, it can look as simple as, as being a good worker. If the work was cursed, Right? Being a good worker, like not just working hard, that can go too extreme, but like being a diligent worker and a fair worker and being an honest worker and having integrity and ethics when perhaps your industry says like, that's not important here. It can be good uh, being a good employer, being a good boss and treating the people who you work with and who work for you with integrity and respect and honor and love. It can look like supporting nonprofits that are fighting for justice in the world. It can be like figuring out what sort of things you're passionate about. By the way, we've been talking about this this year, right? This whole living on a mission thing. Like this is what this is supposed to be about. It's not just find out who you are and do things because it makes you feel better. It's like, no, 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 find out who God has made you and then be a part of what he's doing in the world. Some of you guys have huge hearts for government and politics. Like, thank God. Get in there and work and love and pray for the people around you. Some of you have huge hearts for relationships. You love stepping into strained relationships and loving people back to each other. Paul wrote a letter to Philemon. An entire book of the Bible is a reconciliation letter between Onesimus and Philemon. In Philippians 4, he has these two women, Yodi and Syntyche. And he says... Pray for the restoration of their relationship. In Galatians 2, he has Peter who is causing the strife between the disciples and he steps in and says, this is not okay. If you're about relationships, find ways to pour yourself into relationships. Maybe you you care about the environment, Maybe you have a huge heart for recycling. I know those of you who know me, I do, for some reason. I don't know why, but like, I'm always the one picking bottles out of trash cans and throwing them in the recycling bin. And some of you are like, well, I've seen the garbage men take and throw it in both. Then find another way. Take it to the recycling center around the corner. Come to church and then just go drop it off or bring it to me, I'll take it. This is a bad idea, Bailey. (laughs) But how has God made you? How has God wired you? What are you passionate about? What is God doing in you? Because he's given us the work, the ministry of reconciliation, right? 2 Corinthians 5 says he has given us the ministry of reconciliation, which I believe is not just in people to to God, but is the reconciling of the entire world to him, all of creation. You cannot be an escapist here. You cannot say God is gonna come and take care of it. I can sit back and relax and do nothing. That's not what we're called to do. We're called to be stepping in I remember what he said about creation. He said it was very good. He loves his creation. He died for his creation. He wants us to be a part of it. In one day, solar systems will stop dying out. Stars will cease to burn out. The universe will seemingly stop spinning out of control in chaos. Vegetation will be lush. Weeds will no longer exist, thank God. Animals won't be killing each other or people. Natural disasters won't be taking life. But we're beginning to experience it now because he's transforming us and redeeming us and using us to begin the process of redemption and renewal in the world. Before you begin to say that this is way too big and this is way too beyond me, I, I can't do anything, I want to show you a picture of the Strasbourg Cathedral. Uh, this is... I can't wait to go see it someday. A gorgeous, gorgeous masterpiece. Uh, It was built um, from... 1015 to 1439. 424 years it took to build this cathedral. And from 1647 to 1874, it was the tallest structure in the world. And when they built it, they built it saying it was to display and represent God's splendor, majesty, and to cause wonder in people. It was built to glorify God. And this picture does not do it justice. And if any of you have ever been there, come and talk to me. I'd love to hear more. It is amazing. But remember how long it took to build. 424 years. Imagine that the Puritans come over and they begin building something in Jamestown in 1607. It's not done yet. We still got 14 more years. It took that long, which means a dozen or so generations of people poured their entire lives into building this thing and never saw it come to fruition. They never got to see it in all of its glory and splendor. God is not asking you to build a cathedral He is not asking you or even us as a church to build a cathedral. And by the way, we, I love our church. We've done some amazing things in restoring the world, right? We've given goats to girls in Nepal for several Christmases in a row. And we've seen change in those societies because of that. We've built uh, 20, almost 30 wells in Ghana. And we've seen literally lives and whole cultures changed because of that. We as a church are doing amazing things. But he's not asking us to do that. He's asking us to do something. He's asking you to lay a brick. Lay a brick, one brick. What's your brick? What is God pressing upon your heart today? And think of all the ways in which the world is broken. It can be in relationships. It can be in work. It can be in your family. We get to taste the beauties of the new creation of redemption in our lives right now because he is using us to bring about the redemption and restoration of all of creation. It is an incredible gift. It's a privilege. It might sound like a burden and I pray it doesn't. It's not a burden. This is not a penalty. This is not punishment. He's letting us be a part of his work. God is reconciling all things to him by the power of the blood shed on the cross. And I hope this brings you to two places. I know for me, this is what it's done. I hope it brings you one to the place where you begin to think of, okay, God, what do you, what do you have for me? I wanna be responsible and take action in some way, shape, or form in my world. What does that look like? And I really pray that God is impressing upon your hearts now something in that arena. But the other place it took me is worship. Isn't God awesome? Like he, his, the death of his son was so great that it didn't just redeem us, but it redeemed all of creation. It's so powerful. We don't, we can't comprehend it. And when I get to that place, I'm like, God, you are so awesome. You are so powerful. You are so much bigger than us. I pray this is where it brings us, to these two places. And I pray that we can let the power that does that to fill us and allow us and to move us to step into the world and participate in what he's doing. Let me pray for us. Father, we are, as we continue to work through this series, I think we become more and more aware every week of how big you are, how holy you are, how other you are, how powerful you are. And that you chose to send your son and his death was so powerful that it changes everything. So Father, we pray that as you move in us and stir in our hearts this morning that you would draw us to worship and invite us to where you want us to serve and love you. Father, move in us. We pray that you would continue to deepen these truths in our hearts of who you are and what you've done. Jesus, we lift all these things in your name. Amen.